Is stock price volatility causing your burn rate to spin out of control? Stay tuned for some strategies to get your burn rate back under control. Welcome to the NASPP's Equity Expert Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Barbara Buckshot, and I'm the Executive Director of the NASPP. In this episode, we are going to focus on how stock price volatility can wreak havoc on grant sizes and explore some ideas for mitigating this problem. With me today to offer her thoughts on this topic is Amanda Benincasa Arena. Amanda is a partner and the North America practice leader at Aon Equity Services. She specializes in technical accounting and tax and consults on every part of the life cycle of equity awards. She also authored the feature article on this topic that appears in the fall 2022 issue of the NASPP Advisor Newsletter. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thanks so much, Barb. Glad to be here. So let's just start with some background on this issue. Uh, How do companies typically decide on the number of shares to grant in their equity awards and how does stock price volatility affect award size? It's a great question and one that definitely doesn't have a straightforward answer in any way. (laughs) So depending on the life cycle of the company, you know, there are private companies that just use guidelines. Like if you're at VP level, you get 100 RSUs or you get 500 stock options. But when companies become public, they tend to all converge on this value-based approach where they denominate their awards using the stock price. And they've got a target dollar. So their person that they're granting to might have a target of $100,000 of equity compensation. And then they have to figure out what that $100,000 actually means in terms of grant sizes. So depending on where you are in your life cycle, a lot of companies will start off just using the stock price on the date of grant. Then they might try an average of the stock price leading up to the grant. And some companies might even use the accounting fair value like Black-Scholes or Monte Carlo simulation to denominate the numbers that the person actually receives. When a company's stock price is in decline, what sort of problems can that lead to for their equity program? So we saw this a lot in 2020, right? And even in the last couple of years, we're still seeing this happen. When a company's stock price ends up declining, that can increase the number of shares that are being utilized in the plan. And that's purely because if you take 100,000 and you divide it by 100, that produces a much different number than if you take 100,000 and you divide it by five, right? You're going to use a lot more shares a lot more quickly in that sense. And that goes across the board. The daily stock price volatility can impact that as well as long-term volatility of the stock. So what we see happen is when the stock price is on a decline, we just see the share pool burn way quicker than typical. And that could be in your equity incentive program or in your employee stock purchase program, where you've got this fixed way of defining how many shares somebody gets, but the denominator of that is getting incrementally smaller over time. And I would imagine that the problem is kind of compounded because you you, you know, you're granting these awards that are larger than you expected to, which means you're running through your share pool, which means you need to go back to shareholders and ask for more shares sooner than you expected. But at the same time, your burn rates are potentially out of control because your grant sizes have been so large, which might make shareholders less willing to approve a new allocation to the plan. That's exactly right. It's, it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy at that point, because you burn the, the pool so much quicker which means you have to go back to your shareholders so much quicker. 
And shareholders are only really amenable to that a couple times before they're saying, hey, why am I so diluted at this point? Why is the earnings per share on a diluted basis look so bad because you've granted so many shares to the employees? That's really the problem that we're facing too, is, is going back for that approval. You can only use the same narrative so many times before it becomes a problem in, in grant practice, right? Yeah, yeah. And in addition to those issues, I'm wondering, are there also some potential pay equity considerations that companies should be aware of? I think we see that so frequently now, Barb, because depending on when different people entered the company and the way that companies grant their equity awards, some companies will grant new hire grants that are more large than the annual grants. Some companies will only say you're, you're new, but you're just going to get the annual grant. And then we might do some top-offs here or there. But we've seen an influx of what we would refer to as top-off or make-hold grants. And that's to fix some of the pay equity issues that come about. Because particularly when you're using an RSU, the full value award, and you've got these largely swinging values in denominations where one person can get hired and get 10,000 RSUs. A month later, somebody at the same position could get 15,000 RSUs. A month later, it can be 8,000 RSUs. Well, a few years down the road, those are all worth very different amounts of money. And whether you have share ownership guidelines or whether people are just looking at their holdings and saying, hey, I kind of got pumped here. I think that's what a lot of companies are looking at. And that really is coming into this whole world of pay transparency And when you're actually publicly disclosing your NEO's compensation, the volatility of when somebody entered the company and when their stock was denominated becomes really easy to see. So I think that's 100% on the table here, looking at pay equity and looking at whether or not this is not intentionally, but it's still impacting different groups of people dependent on when their grants occur. Yeah, I think just when you think about the wealth creation opportunities that are inherent in equity awards, Having a situation where that wealth that's created is somewhat random based on what the stock price was at on the date that someone was hired or the date that their award was granted is really problematic for pay equity and just for uh, long-term wealth creation for employees. It sure is. And, And one thing that just came to mind there is we do see a lot of companies that bifurcate the grant dates between the executives and the rest of the employee base if they're granting broad-based equity. So even think about that. If you grant to your executives on one day and then you grant to the rest of your employee base on another day, that's going to look a little bit funny, particularly if your employee base that's non-NEO is on the losing end of that calculation. That can really demotivate your population of people that finally do have access to the wealth creation that exists in equity compensation. Yeah. And it could Potentially, even if it's not intentional, it could look like you're trying to manipulate the value you're granting to your executives. Right, exactly. All right. Well, I know that one way to mitigate the effect of stock price volatility, which you actually already mentioned in your response to my first question, is to use a multi-day average to determine grant sizes rather than a spot price. And with a multi-day average approach, instead of dividing the grant value by the fair market value on the date that you're determining the grant size, you would use an average fair market value, say, over the past 30 days. I actually wrote a blog on this a couple of years ago where I compared using a multi-day average to size grants to using a spot value. And I was pretty surprised once I ran the numbers 
by how much even just a 30-day average can help even out grant sizes. And I'm not the only one who's noticed the benefit of using a multi-day average. In the most recent NASPP Deloitte survey on equity administration, the percentage of respondents using an average value to size grants increased to 42%, up from just 27% in 2019. What are your thoughts on this approach, and are you seeing a similar trend among your clients? Yes. So I'll go in reverse order. We absolutely are seeing a similar trend among our clients. I think for a little bit, we were seeing an increase in using the accounting fair value, and that was really to align you know, the approved amount with the amount that you're expensing. But as that became just as volatile as the daily stock prices are, we saw more clients actually revert back to using an average. And we see similar statistics, Barb, in our annual TSR survey, where we look at how companies are actually denominating their grants. And then my thoughts on this, since I used to also sit on the issuer side, are that this is a really good way to do a simple calculation that will make sense to the participants that receive the equity awards, but also take out that daily volatility. I know that I wouldn't necessarily want my grant to be denominated on the day, only because that could be really a takeaway for me. It might not be advantageous. So there's always going to be a day where somebody wins and a day where somebody loses. But I'm not in control of that as an equity recipient. So I would much rather lean toward an average so that I can help mitigate that and not wind up in a, in a disadvantaged place that I really didn't want to find myself in, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think I'm sure if you happen to be the winner in that equation, you think that the spot price is a great way to go. But for the losers, it's really hard to justify why their grant is so much smaller than their peers. Well, that's exactly what we say, right? When you're making decisions about this, it's important not to just cherry pick what lets you win this year, right? Yeah. It's about picking something that's going to make sense year over year because you don't want the people that are winners or losers, especially when we go back to that bifurcated approach, when you've got groups that are experiencing very different things in the same annual grant process. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of technical questions about how the multi-day average is calculated. What sort of time period do you see companies use for their averages? I would say most times it's either a 20 trading day average or a one calendar month average, which largely ends up being the exact same thing when you look at a typical calendar month. And I think the rationale for that is just keeping it long enough where even if you have a bad week or something where there's a bad result that comes out or the media is against you, or even the reverse, right? You have a good result and a spike in your stock price. You don't want that to necessarily over impact this calculation. So that tends to be the easiest. And I think the other thing is if you're running it super, super long, I think that can actually have adverse effects where if you are trending toward a, a specific direction, and your longer term stock isn't following that, it could actually impact this in a negative way as well. Okay. So when I wrote in that blog entry that I referred to, that was back in 2020. And the period that I looked at when I calculated my multi-day average versus my spot price was from, I think it was uh, February to March. So it was right in that period when the shutdowns for COVID hit and mm -hmm. the stock market sort of plummeted. And then a month later, it had really started to recover. And I thought, you know, I'm not really sure 30-day average is going to be enough to make much of a difference just looking at what the stock price was. And I used the S&P 500 numbers. So right. I, didn't, I didn't just make up numbers. I, I looked at the S&P 500 and what it had done. 
And I thought, you know, given the change in the S&P 500 value over that 30-day period, I didn't think that 30 days was going to be enough, but actually it was. It was fine. Yeah, I would say, you know, especially S&P 500, that makes a ton of sense to me. I think for industries like life sciences or some very volatile industries, we tend to see a little bit of a longer runway on those only because they are such volatile industries. It's funny, sometimes I have clients that tell me their volatility is 40%. That's way too high. And then I have to think about my life sciences clients where they're you know, upwards of 80 to 120% volatility on a daily price point calculation. So I really think the, the length of that average might also lend itself to the industry that you're in. But certainly for the S&P 500, it feels right to say 30 days is impactful. And for most industries, I think that's absolutely true. Well, and I think that's a good point that the averaging period that you use may in part depend on how volatile your stock price is. You know, if you're comparing yourself to a company whose stock is a lot less volatile, the two of you may need to use different averaging periods. 100%. Agree there. And does the average period always run right up to the date of grant or do companies offset it a bit to give them more time to do their calculations? For example, maybe using an average period that ends five days before the grant date. Yeah, I would say that's a little bit of a mixed bag. There are definitely companies that are comfortable running it right up to the date of grant and they've got their processes together and they denominate it and they get their form four in and they're very tidied up there. And there are other companies that say we're going to buy ourselves a little bit more time and maybe end the week before. Then we know what our Black Shoals is or we know exactly what our denominator is. And it makes the process a little bit less stressful. So I would say it's just dependent on the policy of the company. But it also lends itself to the last point that we made, that depending on the volatility of the company, that gap could provide enough time for the stock price to vary. So it's definitely a facts and circumstances driven policy on whether you run it right up to the grant date. But there are a lot of companies that will give themselves wiggle room just so you've got plenty of time to tidy everything else up. I personally am always a big fan of giving myself a little wiggle room. (laughs) Me too. So what are some of the disadvantages of using a multi-day average? I would say, and I'm going to put my accounting hat on because that's what I do. But a disadvantage that I've always seen is that you might have this then target of $100,000 of compensation. If you use the stock price on the date of grant to denominate that, you're going to have $100,000 of compensation expense associated with it. You know, you might have rounding issues where you end up with $100,000.34, but still you're going to get pretty darn close. When you use a multi-day average, the longer that average is, the more it tends to diverge from the actual stock price that has to be used for expensing purposes. Now, that might not be true because we just talked about different volatilities of different industries, different companies. If you're really solid in the way that your stock price moves and you have this feeling that it's just going to be fine, you could end up exactly at $100,000, but you could also end up with $110,000. You could end up with $90,000. And depending on how that's going to show up in your summary compensation table, so that's more for NEO disclosure, that can, again, look a little bit funny when you say, we're giving you $100,000 of stock, but when the ASC 718 value comes across in the summary compensation table, it can be drastically different. So that tends to also exacerbate itself when we're thinking about the accounting fair value of awards, but that's not what our podcast is about today. So I won't go down that rabbit hole quite yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Are there any other approaches that you are seeing companies use to mitigate the impact of market volatility on their equity grants? Like maybe setting a cap on the number of shares that they're going to grant, or maybe some companies are just sort of throwing up their hands and saying, you know, we don't know what to do because the stock's so volatile right now. We're just going to grant what we granted last year. With the market uncertainty that we've seen over the last few months and even right now, I think that we are seeing a lot of different approaches to this. Some of it's exactly what you've said, where people will say, all right, we're going to denominate based on the current stock price, but we're setting a cap so that we can control the burn of our share pool. That actually mimics a lot of employee stock purchase programs when you think about it, where there might be purchase caps on those so that you know this is going to last us 10 years or this is going to last us five years. So we are seeing people do that with their equity incentive programs, but it is a little bit weird to see, right? When people have become accustomed to a grant process, it's hard to also say your target amount is going to go down because we're suddenly putting a cap on it. But it's all about the way that you communicate it. I also think there's a little bit of a propensity in some of our more volatile industries and volatile clients to just say, we're going to keep it exactly the same as last year. So if you received 1,000 RSUs last year, you're going to receive 1,000 RSUs this year. I really just think, again, it's about employee perception there. A broad-based employee group might be okay with that because they're really looking at this as a long-term wealth accretion opportunity. But when you look again at the public disclosure surrounding NEO compensation, and you've got the same grant made year over year that might be a quarter of the actual ASC 718 value, that gets a little bit difficult. So I do think it's a lot about how it's communicated. It's also how dire the situation is. I look at 2020 again, and I know we don't like bringing up 2020, but it's just a a good fact pattern to analyze this under. There were so many companies that had employee stock purchase plans in effect that in the middle of the purchase said, oh my gosh, if our stock price stays this way, if it stays this low, we actually won't have enough shares in our ESPP to put the purchase for. Some had to suspend their ESPP, some terminated it, some were lucky enough that their price rebounded and they were able to purchase it. But there were a lot of companies saying, well, I think we should be putting in caps now. So I do expect caps to become a little bit more prevalent as we go through the uncertainty, because I do think it's a nice governor to help that share pool actually be healthy and last long enough so that, again, to your original point, we're not going back to shareholders over and over again and saying, can I please have some more shares because we're just running out. As a big believer in equity as a tool for wealth creation, I really hate to make this last point, but one obvious way to control your burn rate is to grant equity awards to fewer employees. With so many companies recently experiencing a decline in their stock price, are you seeing some of your clients reduce eligibility for their equity awards to preserve their share reserve? Or is the job market right now tight enough that it's creating enough pressure for companies to maintain their current eligibility or even maybe expand eligibility for their equity awards? Oh, this is a rough one, right? Because as a proponent for equity, just as much as you are, I would hate to see the eligibility really start to shrink, as I think we've made strides in the last few years, particularly in broad-based plans, employee stock purchase plans, using equity deep within the organization, at least deeper than before. I haven't seen this trend come up yet. I do think the labor market's still too tight, and it would just really not meet the compensation philosophy that a lot of these companies have articulated. 
but I am worried that if that labor market starts to slow down a little bit and, you know, it's not as competitive as it is, that this would be the next way that companies really look at cutting down their share pool usage and elongating the life of their plans. To companies considering that, I would say there are probably better ways to do it first rather than cutting eligibility might not be the best for your executive pools, but I would say cutting eligibility when you set down that path to broad-based ownership, that might just not be the best way to go. But hopefully we just don't see any of that, Barb. Hopefully the market bounces back or we find more creative ways to use stock-based comp in a way that just elongates the life of the plan. I hope so too. I'm all for creative ways to use stock-based compensation. It's not creative accounting, Barb. No creative accounting. Just right, right. To use stock-based compensation. Just creative design, exactly. <laughs> well, that wraps up our discussion for today. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me. I always enjoy an opportunity to geek out on equity compensation with you. The pleasure is all mine, Barb. You know, I get so excited to talk about all this, especially to put my accounting hat on and nobody's screaming at me to stop. So much appreciated. And thanks to our audience for listening. If you are interested in learning more about the topics we discussed here today, we will post links to the resources we mentioned in our show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you are notified when we post new episodes.